Glory to Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. This is our last class on our introduction to Eastern Catholic spirituality. Father Joseph is leading us through. Father, would you please uh, begin us with prayer? Oh, Holy Spirit, mighty Good evening. I'm very happy to be with you, and I uh, thank you for staying with us for six weeks. And it's been a pleasure. The weather is changing here now, so we came down the mountain. We have about, uh, I guess, about 10 inches of snow. But that's nothing here, 10 inches of snow, you know what I mean? So anyway, as long as we get up and down the mountain, we're happy. My topic uh, this evening is about spiritual fatherhood. Well, you could say, because there's spiritual mothers too, you can put them in too. And uh, remember, nothing happens with the gifts of the Holy Spirit without ascesis, you know, proxies, then comes theosis. And you know what that means already because we've talked about that. Now, God is the only father, actually. He's the source of everything. We just have one father, and he's God. The other terms for father come from, actually, believe it or not, the desert fathers, and from uh, pious practice. But we have one father, God the Father. Like we have one Redeemer, the Son, one Sanctifier, the Holy Spirit. But they work in concession with each other, circumcession. Remember that? that you know that, yeah. So, Father, uh, you read books about, depending on the tradition, uh, Father in Latin is Pater, in Greek it's Geron, in Slavonic uh, it developed into Staritz. And uh, they succeed each other a little bit, historically. People call me and they say, well, we want a spiritual father. We're going to talk about that, just what you're asking for and what you're looking for, the good points and the dangers. All right? Now, so anyway, there's in the uh, Catholic tradition, apostolic succession. But there's also a succession of saints. And they came along just along also with the hierarchy, the bishops and priests and deacons. So there was a succession of saints that in many ways had a lot more influence than the hierarchy itself. Although the hierarchy is very important, it gives the structure to the church and gives us also a certain spiritual fatherhood. Now, this was a charismatic succession, largely hidden alongside the apostolic succession. 
reaching from the apostolic age down to our own. Isn't that remarkable? St. Simeon called them the golden chain that comes to us from the apostolic church, starting with somebody like St. Paul. St. Paul not only uh, teaches us morality, he also teaches us spirituality. He says things like, I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me, etc., etc. You could take a whole book, you could write a whole book on the spirituality of St. Paul. But of course, nobody can live in the golden chain and live living a moral life. Sir, huh? remote hermitages in the deserts, Nitra, outside of Alexandria, oh, and Skeets, in the Gaza Strip. In the late 4th century and early 6th century, developed a whole theology, a whole way of spiritual direction and being spiritual fathers. I think it's remarkable that Anthony the Great, his monastery is still there and so is his cell. How do you like that? Is that terrific? The, the monastery at the bottom of Mount Sinai, where Moses went up, is still there. and There's still monks there. A little trouble lately, but please God, they're back now. The ministry of the spiritual father is to take your soul into his soul. So we had a Western, uh, not monk, but cardinal. He said in Latin, cor ad cor loquitur. Heart speaks to heart. So this type of spiritual development of fatherhood or, or motherhood is very intimate. St. Paul teaches the same court of speaking so that one soul understands another. Now, if, you're unholy, if your father, your spiritual father, let me use that term, does not communicate with you that he can understand your soul, it's difficult. So he has to have that gift. There's charismatic gifts involved in spiritual fatherhood, being a staretz. This staretzi they developed all through the Carpathian Mountains from Byzantium all up into Russia. And there are still successors to their staretzi in Russia, that have avoided the persecution of the Soviets. There's still some around, or at least their successor. Now, how does the spiritual father train a successor? That's he takes a young monk, and he trains him, and figures out if he has the talent and charism to be a spiritual father. But more than likely, in some monastery, some quiet place, some hidden jewels there, part of the golden chain that knows what it is to be a spiritual father. Now, origin, St. Anthony the Desert, they say this. Well, this origin's pretty well back, so what's your father? 
Ask your father and he will tell you. Deuteronomy 3, uh, 2, 7, 32, 7. The spiritual father sp spreads from the ear of the apostles all the way to the Byzantium, all especially to the Slav East. We have had problems with that because of the interference of the Western Church in our spirituality. Uh, the invasion of the Jesuits and all these things into Eastern Europe and Central Europe. But I think we're trying to re re recoup our spirituality. And those wonderful men, whoever they were, thought they knew everything. They didn't. They didn't know a damn thing. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I remember talking to a bishop, a Malachite bishop. And um, in the village, there came a group of uh, Franciscan priests and brothers and monks. And they brought the catechism and gave it to him. And what happened was that um, he took it home. His mother took it out of his hand and said, here's the prayer book, that's all you need. And that's true. Everything you need to know about our faith, including the creed, is in the prayer book and in the services. But there has to be a spiritual consciousness to imbibe the tradition into your heart, as we were talking about earlier in this course. Kevin Roos, we had the same process with the monasteries, and they give, he got admonished, you get admonishment from the father to the son, from the father to the young monk. In the Divine Ascent, uh, there's a whole section, I tell you, you can read about this. It's called uh, the Pastoral, the Ladder of St. John, you know, Comachus. He talks about that to the shepherd. A shepherd is preeminent and he's able to seek out and set aright his sheep. He's a pilot, a physician, a genuine teacher. A teacher from high as he instructs the earthborn. A good pilot saves the ship. A good shepherd quickens and cures his ailing sheep. So that's the basic question. You, One of the basic questions is, uh, do you go to your spiritual father for confession? Well, you can. Not always your spiritual father is always not a priest. We like to hold on to the idea that Absolution be, should be given by priest or a bishop. But there are practices in the church where you go to your spiritual father, he deals with you. And, and there have been cases where monks have given almost absolution. You can say it's in the literature. But we suggest that you go to a priest. A priest that hears your confession may not be a spiritual father. Confession has developed into a sort of system where you tell, well, I did this and I did that and I did wrong, but it doesn't get to your heart. Confession is for a physician of souls, a person who's, oh, that you did all that, that's nice, but he has to know what's in your heart. 
See, Keith counts the confession. He says, I stole the cookie. The priest says, why did you steal the cookie? Oh, I was hungry. Why are you confessing? You were hungry? She says, no. Well, what are you confessing? Well, I disobeyed my mom. Well, probably if you'd ask your mom, she don't mind about a cookie. We don't need to talk about that. What else is going on in your life? You know? Well, sometimes I'm very angry with mom and dad. Now that's getting to the heart of the matter, huh? Sometimes the darkness, the, the, the night of the passion overtakes the flock, the sheep of the, the shepherd's sheep, huh? And there has to be an immobile watch over the passions. It's like trying to dive, dog trying to dive away a, mild be a wild beast, it says in here. Now you can get this book. You can read about the shepherd and many other things. In the monastery, we read this every Lent, the whole thing at dinner. It's not so good for digestion, but by the time we're at this, when it's dinner, we've been fasting most of the day. And we're happy to have dinner, so we listen to the book. So, you know, but the, the novice, the new person in the monastery, is given this book. I now give it to them on tape, and they're working. They read to, they hear the, all the book. They take it into their heart. So we just, we have one solemn monk now, Father Andrew, and he has it memorized. I kiss his feet. Wonderful, wonderful gift. He knows the ladder. Some of these commentaries in front of the ladder are done by people who don't know anything about what they're talking about. Don't read the commentary unless it's by an Easterner. Because you can get a copy in the classics of Western civilization, spiritual classics. It's a series. The commentary is really bad. You need a father to teach you how to understand this book. But here's the source. The prologue is another source from Okrid. It's really ours because Okrid is one of the dioceses founded by St. Seromathodius. And we're the children of St. Seromathodius, too. The lives of the saints are in there. You read that every day with your scripture saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, I have to move along here. We're not going to make it the rate we're going here now. So the spiritual father has five characteristics. Uh, first of all, he's a doctor. You go to the doctor when you're sick. And the, ho the, the hospital is the church. You have to be cured from your sickness. He applies medicine of one type or another to your soul and your heart. Confession can be part of that. He's a, he a healer or a spiritual physician. But don't go to him with your ulcer. Or maybe you should because probably have an ulcer because you're not living the proper life you should be leading. You're not living the ascesis of the church to make you open to the healing power of the Holy Spirit. A spiritual father may be a counselor. 
they say to this the monk or the spiritual father, give me a word. He wants a word. People come up to say, give me a word, father. I say, I can't give you a word. I know who you are. I can't give you a word because I have to know your heart. If I don't know your heart, what am, how am I going to search for you a word? How am I going to hear the word from your own heart? Now, it must be a power-saving word that regenerates, that heals the logoi. You know, we talked about those logoi, those things that go through your brain and make you nuts, make you sin. You say, well, Father, I got bad thoughts. Who the hell cares about bad thoughts? You're not praying. Nobody who's into prayer has bad thoughts. They disappear. That's a, that's a that's what you call a sickness. There's whole books written on that. You can read and pick one up and read it. Okay, now. What you need to get rid of those laws is your father to teach you about the interior journey. The outside journey, that's fine. It's all out here. doesn't help us too much, but at least keeps us alive. So we can make the interior journey. The interior journey is that journey that makes you into a God-loved saint. I didn't say that you love God. I said God loves you. As he loves what's going on in you, your beautiful heart. Sometimes we read spiritual books. You need to be taught what books to read and which to not read. And stay away from psychology, especially if that counselor or psychiatrist is not faith-filled. Because all he'll do is make you sicker. Sad for me to say that. Sometimes married couple come to me, they've been to counselors, you know, they want counseling, want me to help them out. Well, they know so much jargon, they smoked the counseling a long time ago. Forget that. I tell them, I don't want to hear that. I know all that, too. I have a degree in counseling. I don't need that bullshit. Excuse me. I want to know what in their heart went wrong that they're no longer loving each other. What failed? Do they pray together? Or they work all the time and they can never eat together? They don't go to church together? There's no icon corner in the house. Children don't pray. Children are not instruction. They send them somewhere for a CCD or EACF or something. Send them to a Catholic school. They're a disaster too. Because the most important thing we have to change people is discipline so they can have a good heart. So the interior journey. The spiritual father is a teacher of the interior journey, not step by step. He finds you where you are and tries to bring you a little bit along. I remember I read a book years ago when I was in seminary, The Good Confessor, a little st stinky little book. Whoa, 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 what wisdom. As he said, don't try to drag a person 10 miles when he can only go an inch. Try to discern how you can help him and then talk to him and give him a little penance and tell him to come back 
And maybe in five years' time, you'll get him where you want him to be. Not good to shop around for confessors to hear what you want. Well, I can find a priest that'll tell me what I want to hear. Go ahead. Hell's not half full. Go ahead. And I don't know what's going to happen to that priest either. He should be following the magisterium of the church, and he should be teaching your heart to fall in love with God, not yourself. Death to self. The spiritual father is an intercessor. He heals by his prayers. Advice is gone, but prayer is better. Let the advice go by. It's okay, but prayer is better. Prayer leads you to a better path. All sorts of things happen to us. I may have told you a story already about a couple were in big trouble and they're fighting for three days. So some friend of us called and said, Father, we pray for this couple. About a couple of days went by, I got another call and says, they stopped fighting. Recently I saw them. They're like Bill and Koo. And I said, what happened? Well, they forgot what they were fighting about. It was the work of the devil, wasn't it? They, I saw them in church working together. They looked like human beings now. Looks like, at least for a little while, the marriage will work until the devil gets in there again. Huh? Okay, now. Okay, so. Uh, he is a mediator your spiritual father. He prays for his children and they pray for him. It's a mutual prayer. So don't ask the spiritual father to pray for you if he's not in your daily prayers. And we have a lot, we have books of people to pray for. We have a whole book. And every day, a few times a week, we get calls. Some of these people are not well enough to be praying. Don't wait till you're sick to go to pray. Pray now because when you're sick, you don't feel like praying. But you can say the chutki or the rosary or something, and 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 somebody will come in and pray with you. That's even better. Your spiritual father will pray for you. You remember your liturgy, and the whole monastery will remember you in the offices. There's the powerhouse right there. Powerhouse. So this is mutual prayer. Your spiritual father is your sponsor to the court of the king. He's the one that leads you into the courtroom of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How beautiful. But if he's not really on the go, I mean, if he's not there himself, he doesn't know the way. He hasn't had the experience. He's not mature enough to be a spiritual father. And you don't get to be a spiritual father by reading books and taking a course. I read in the, the um, Vatican Magazine, there's a new university online. They call them institutes. They're very good for monastics because you don't have to leave home in your vocation to get a degree. It's a wonderful thing. You're in danger. It's dangerous out there. Especially in the university. The devils love the university. I won't go into that right now. They just love it. But anyway, um, 
spiritual father would start out and go through all the steps. He must fall and get down and get up again. He must try all spirit methods of prayer until he finds out that they're not really prayer. So you can meditate. You can do the devotion to the left hand of God, whatever you want to do. You're spinning your wheels. Prayer must sink into the heart and you must stand there and you just look at God and he must look at you. And gradually he'll bring you to theosis, if not in this life, in the next. And in theosis, it's you and God. There's no sound, there's no noise, there's no thought. It's beautiful. Now, from my experience, which isn't always the best, but anyway, you got to put up with me for now. I was a very good seminarian. I listened to everything. I, they told me to hang by my heels and stand on my head to make a priest. I figured, well, they know how to make a priest. I don't. I want to be a priest. They're going to make me a decent priest. We had lots of spiritual directors. Some were just great men, but they were not overwhelmingly spiritual directors. But they were good people. Thank God. So they taught us head, heart, and hands. Think like Jesus, pray like Jesus, and work like Jesus. Composition of place. So you read the scripture, but Jesus did that. Now I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be like Jesus. No, no. The Jesuits give you 40 days of meditation written by Ignatius. No, no. See, it's harder than that. I went to, uh, I was up in Nome, Alaska. I went to see, uh, go to confession. It's hard to get a priest in, in Alaska, you know, go to confession. So I used to go, whenever I got near civilization, and uh, I'll tell you two funny incidences. So I went to the, the one in Nome there, he was a Jesuit father. I thought they're supposed to be the big wigs, you know. And we talked, we talked and everything, and we heard each other's confession, and it was nice. So I tried to give him a penance. He didn't want to do any of that stuff because he didn't want to say the office. He didn't want to do this, didn't want to do that. He says it gave him a headache. I can believe that. He was telling the truth. Tried too hard too many years on the wrong track. But the funniest one I had was I was in Nome. I mean, excuse me, I was in Fairbank. Uh, no, Anchorage. I remember that. Well, I just went into the church in my black suit and collar. <laughs> and I went up to and got in line. And there were a lot of people lined up. You know, people used to be pretty good about going to confession. Now they're a bunch of lapses. But anyway, it's our tradition. You know, you go to confession for not only Easter, but Christmas. And you should do that. You need it. And don't tell me you don't because you're not telling the truth. But anyway, I got in line and I waited there. I got in the line. Well, I got in. I got my confession in. But then the priest told me for about one half hour all his difficulties we was having there, you know. So when I walked out of the confession, I just wondered what the people thought that this priest was in there one half hour. They probably thought, 
well, what did he do? You know, I didn't do anything. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what I did, but I was just talking with the priest. Sometimes that's necessary. Priests need to know your heart. Not necessarily you did this, that, and that. I've been taught here in confessions for years. They come and give me the laundry list. They're not examining their heart. Their prayer life, they're making all these meditations and things like, well, that's a good thing. It's a good place to start, maybe. We want to get further than that. We want the mind to sink into the soul, to sink into the heart that your gaze is on the presence of the gifts of the Holy Spirit within you, the divine energies, and God bless you, maybe even the light-giving trinity, the holy light. It's possible. And those that type of spiritual development makes your liturgical life fantastic. It's a sine qua non. It's a condition with which you cannot... You know, you speak, thinking liturgy can become obligation or fulfillment. No, you want it always to be a mountaintop experience. It's not always is, but seraphim happened to him, it's happened to many priests, it happened to some of our priests too, because I've talked to them. It's interesting. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about how do you know you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Gosalali is not my big deal. I don't believe in that. Some people have, you know, undigested cheese. They have a dream. They think it's the Holy Spirit. Well, that's nice. I thought it's nice. Some people come in to see the priest. They're always telling you how holy they are. You know, you got to be careful. Priests can read souls. Bishop Sheen, he could tell you if a man was in sin or not by just the way he walked down the street. Well, I thought I'd go the other side of the street if he was coming along. I saw him once. He was phenomenal just to look at. He was a very senior man, beautiful white hair, beautiful blue eyes, and just as peaceful as a dove. And he went into the church, and he was going to talk. He sat in the pew in the front up there, you know, like the choir stalls. And I could see him composing himself to give a beautiful sermon. Only many once, but it was a wonderful experience. I have a second class relic of him in my uh, in my bedroom with me. I'm privileged to have that. I like the relics, you know how I am. But anyway, the most uh, famous studettes in recent history has been St. Seraphim of Sarov. He had, had a conversation with a man named Molovilov. And in that conversation, they talked about their mutual disgust with, with their prayer life. I want to tell you a little bit. I'm just going to read, just read you a few uh, quotes from that because I can't do the whole thing because we don't have time, you know. So he asked the question of Seraphim, and he responds, That is your godliness. In acquiring the Spirit of God consists in the true aim of our Christian life. Our prayer vigils and fasting and almsgiving are good works done for Christ's sake are merely the means of acquiring the Spirit of God. 
And you know, if you fall in love with God, you're going to automatically do all those good things. You're not going to go into church and uh, put your hand in your pocket and pull, throw the change in the basket. You're going to really consider the needs of the church and your brothers and sisters in the church. You're not going to give your money to phony charities. You're going to get them to worthwhile that you know people are being helped. You're going to give your time to the church. And you're going to pray at the services. As many as possible as you can get to and try to understand the spirituality of the liturgy. It goes hand in hand with the hesychistic spirituality. So that's what Seraphim is. Some other thing he says. Anthony the Great in his letters to monks says such about virgins. <clears throat> Many monks and virgins have no idea the different kinds of will which acts in God. They do not know whether we are influenced by three wills. The first is God all perfect, all saving will. The second is our human will, which is not destructive, yet neither is it saving. And the third is the devil's will. Wholly destructive. This third will, the enemy teaches me either not to be good or to do it good deeds or to do them out of vanity. So we have to watch that in doing good deeds. So don't, it says in scripture, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Do good deeds from your heart. And God will teach you how to do that. Uh, the other thing I want to read to you about from this meeting between these two holy men. Of course, every good deed done for Christ's sake gives us the grace of the Holy Spirit. But the prayer gives us, uh, gives us the most of all. For it is always at hand, so to speak. An instrument for acquiring grace of the Spirit. For instance, we'd like to go to church, but there's no church or service is over. We'd like to give alms to a beggar, but there isn't one. Or you will have nothing to give. We'd like to preserve your virginity, but you have not the strength to do so because of your temperament. Or because the violence of the wills of the enemy, which on account of your human weakness, you cannot withstand. You would like to do some good deed for Christ's sake, but either you have not the strength or the opportunity in liking. This certainly does not apply to prayer. Prayer is always possible for everyone. The rich, the poor, the noble, the humble, the strong, the weak, the healthy, the sick, the righteous, and the sinful. You can always pray. I remember these saying, raising your heart to, to God, your mind and heart to God is prayer. I want you to go into your heart and activate it. It's the bombshell you want to get moving. And then you want to suffer for the love of God. If you suffer for the love of God, you're beginning to be converted. If you have the gift of tears because you're being purified, it's not really a gift. It's miserable. Because you know how bad you are. So don't ever tell anybody if you get the gift to get. I had a uh, lady I was given direction to. And she would stand in her icon corner and pray and cry. 
So she she says, you know, Father, I cried. I says, I know. I said, I don't know what's going on. I never told her what was going on. I could have destroyed her. She's still one of my dearest friends, and she's still my child. And last summer she came all the way up from way down in New Mexico someplace to see our little monastery. And she says, I'm coming again when you uh, consecrate the church. So that, who knows what that's going to be, but we're hopeful. We're hopeful. You see, godliness is the great power of prayer. It means all the spirit of God and is most easily practiced by everyone. We shall be blessed in the Lord God finds us watchful and filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then we may boldly hope to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, who's coming in great power and glory to judge the living and the dead. First Peter 4. Now, this goes on and on. You can get uh, the life, Seraphim, the spiritual biography. That's what you want, okay? But he says here, too, we have become so inattentive to the work of our salvation that we misinterpret many words of the Holy Scripture as well. All because we seek the grace of God and the pride of our minds do not allow it to dwell in our souls. This is why we are without true enlightenment from the Lord when he sends into the heart of man hunger and thirst wholeheartedly for God's righteousness. So when you get so hungry for God that you're really upset that you're not worth anything, you're making progress. Spiritual longing is the first gift and the first step. It's wonderful. Just suffer. <coughs> Well, there's so much here, I just can't do much about it. But I'm going to go to the end of this. And they thought they were great sinners. <coughs> Two of them, and they're sitting there in ice cold and snowing. And they're warm. Not only that, they're surrounded by light. Whose light? The Taboric light. People saw it. They just didn't know what was going on. Why would that light be there like that, huh? But they're talking about their what terrible sinners they are. Saint Seraphim said, Don't be in marm your godliness. Now you yourself have become as bright as I am. You are now in the fullness of the Spirit of God yourself, otherwise you would not be able to see me as I am. So one can recognize another. What a gift. Then bending his head toward me, he whispers softly in the ear, Thank Lord God for his unhonorable mercy to us. You saw that I did not even cross myself. And only in my heart I prayed mentally to the Lord God and said within myself, Lord, grant him to see clearly with his bodily eyes the descent of the Spirit, and with greatness to his thy servant that thou art pleasing to appear in the light of the magnificent glory, and see my son, the Lord instantly fulfilled the humble prayer of poor seraphim. How then shall we not thank him for his unspeakable gift to us both? Even to the greatest hermits, my son, the Lord God does not always reveal his mercy in this way.
the grace of God is like a loving mother, has been pleased to comfort her contrite heart at the intercession of the mother of God herself. Why, my son, do you look at me in, the, in these eyes? Just look and don't be afraid. The Lord is with us. Well, you know, we forget the powerhouses of the church. We forget the apostolic witness of the spiritual life in the church. From those ancient mystics in the desert, the apostolic college, and even amongst us this day. Now the problem you're going to tell me is, well, how do I find one of those people? I can't tell you. But they're around. They're hiding out. Don't aggravate them. They're likely to run from you. Because they think they're the greatest sinners. But don't be confused if you find one. They tell the story of a monk, a young man came to a monk, and <clears throat> he said, what is it like to have the Holy Spirit? And the monk didn't know how to answer him, so he stood up and he clicked his fingers and flames came out. We talked about the flame of God. It's either going to sanctify you and make you loving and warm, or it's going to be such that you can't stand it. It's a wonderful mystery to be in love with God and to grow. But brothers and sisters, it's, it's not a day's process. It's a lifetime process. And you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to make some false steps. But in the process, you fall deeper and deeper in love. Persevere. So the Holy Spirit can do his work in you and make your heart a flame. Thank you. It's time for questions now. God bless you. Thank you so much, Father. And since this is the last uh, class, so please, everybody, go ahead and just send me the text um, of, of your question, and I'll go ahead and read it out loud. The first question that we did have come up, Father, was a question about you know, as Eastern Catholics, we live in a world where there's a lot of Western resources, a lot of Western authors, and a lot of Eastern Orthodox authors, but very few Eastern Catholic authors. Um, what should we do um, in order to sort of maintain a quality Eastern Catholic uh, experience? Well, my dear uh, Deacon, we were uh, Orthodox for a thousand years. We're in union with Rome for a thousand years. We're the church the first thousand years, so don't be afraid of the Orthodox. Now, some of them are a little bit prejudiced against us, but most of their spiritual writings are very good. And uh, as far as Eastern Catholics, most of our material is catechetical or liturgical or something like that. We're still trying to get on the map, you know, to have our own sources. But our sources are always going to be Eastern, and those sources are common to all Orthodox and all Catholic. They're the same sources. We really should be the same church. Mm -hmm. We should pray for that unity. But as far as the latter or spiritual books, uh, St. Seraphim of Sarov, sometimes I think the Orthodox 
are more Catholic than we are. It's sort of difficult. Our liturgy is Orthodox. Our spiritual reading is Orthodox. Uh, some struggle to say, well, we have our own particular ethnicity and identity. That's true. At the same time, we are still the heirs to these great spiritual leaders. So I can't say that they're, they're going to do damage. But there's some Orthodox people who are, you know, they just don't want, they want to claim everything. But that's ours. 863, when Sermon 30s came to us, they were Orthodox. I asked my grandfather one time, he was a hot stuff, well, are we Orthodox or are we Catholic? It's a computing. He says, look it. You know, all those people wanted to collect taxes and make money. We didn't want to be Orthodox or Catholic. We just wanted to be left alone and celebrate the liturgy. So he had, you know, he said it was a problem. It, it, it's a problem, you know. So you you want to make yourself distinct ways you can be that Orthodox, you can throw the Bible out too. You know, it's ridiculous. So the Orthodox have much to give us. But we also must realize that the early church was in union with Peter. Cyril Methodius went to Peter to get our liturgical books blessed. You can go to Maria Minori in Rome and see the plaque there on the wall they put up recently. The Slavonic books were blessed by a pope. The vernacular practice was blessed by the pope, Adrian. I think it was Adrian Breakspear. He was a uh, English guy, had a daughter and all that stuff, which is fine. He was a widower, and he blessed our stuff. I think. I think it was Methodius died in Rome in the plague or something, and Cyril went back to Greater Moravia, and the Germans threw him out of the country. But he didn't throw him so far that he didn't get to Israel. So anyway, look at our roots. We have the same roots. I think a lot of this stuff is uh, political and nationalistic. <clears throat> but at the same time, I do want to be a Catholic Ruthenian. I don't want to be anything else. That's my church. Yeah. I hope that's not too chauvinistic, but that's the way it is. And my monastery is Byzantine Catholic Ruthenian. And we do have a great spirituality. I haven't talked to you about Slav spirituality. It's wonderful. But they know maybe I'm a Slavophil, I don't know, but it's just so tender. Just example. Jesus down in Greece, he's an ugly looking guy with thunderbolts and he's got a scale in his hand and all this stuff. And then by the time he got up to the Slav people, oh no, let him give a blessing and hold the gospel book. He's a lover of mankind. See, it's it's just a, a little nuance, but it shows what Slavs do. That's they fixed it up a little, but it's beautiful. They fixed it up a little. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, that's that's Slavic. That's Slav, the Slavs for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Father, you referred to uh, the dangers of um, asking uh, a spiritual father. Um, the, the dangers of of uh, asking for someone to be a spiritual father. What what are those dangers? You don't know uh, where he's at. Mm. You know what he's going through. You know, spiritual direction. They give courses in it. But you have to know a person who can speak to your heart and understand you. Something like your profession, you really can't counsel something, somebody, if they don't have your worldview. Right. It's just spinning your wheels. Yeah. You see, so if you don't understand 
and they're they're around and they're hard to find. Don't look uh, in in uh, look look in monasteries and uh, of course we don't have enough monasteries. That's another problem. We need to grow so we can give adequate spiritual direction to our people. It's just too much business in the church and not enough care of souls. And that's forced on us by the society in which we live. We're trying to struggle to exist. Okay? But I wouldn't trust anybody with my soul unless I knew they were on the ball. That they themselves were practicing hesychism. They were practicing, they were pray praying, they were fasting, and they were looking at your heart. Now, you know, for men, that's a little bit easier than it is for women. It might take you 50 years to get to a woman's heart, but that's okay, you know. They're, they're very little more, a little careful than men. A man comes in, you know that. He's there five minutes. He tells you why he's there. A woman, she'll talk to you about 45 minutes. The last 15 minutes, she'll tell you why she's there, you see. In the meantime, we do have a spiritual director, Jesus Christ, the New Testament, and the writings of the fathers. We do have that in the prayers of the church. We do have a context in which we can grow. And, um, yeah, it, to, to move through that, that process is, is very important. Um, what about, uh, one of the questions that came in was about um, spiritual abuse, how to sort of recognize maybe a, a, a spiritual director that is not prepared to be giving spiritual direction. How does one sort of differentiate that? Well, you'll know. You'll know that he's not, he or she is not in your best interest. They usually have an agenda. We have an agenda too. We need monks. And it's a gentle agenda. Uh, but uh, you'll know. You be around him. You can tell him by the way they act, what they do, what they say. It'll come out. So. Uh, it's very, be very careful. They can get you into trouble. They want to give you devotions to the, the, Our Lady of the left wing of the church or something. You know this is, that's not spiritual direction. You know, you'll, you'll finger it. People are sensitive enough to know when they're getting, a, have a spiritual father or they have somebody that's just not trained. He's, He's not going through the suffering. He's not going through the steps. <clears throat> How can I tell you this? You can sit down to pray and you're nervous and everything and maybe within 45 minutes you are really at peace and falling in love. But that process took a while to learn or to gather from the Holy Spirit. You didn't live, learn that in 10 years. Then you can, somebody comes into you, you see they're a troubled soul, you know they're they're so troubled, they're hardly making any spiritual progress. It's good they're there. So you can console them. Remember the, the things that I told you about the spiritual father at the beginning? All those are important. You can do any of those things. You know. But spiritual fathers should be kind and you should not yell and scream at them. Yeah. Because they don't understand you. They probably understand you better than you understand yourself. Mm. 
Okay. Yes. Yes. As a therapist, it's always amazing to have clarity as to what's going on for someone and they don't see it themselves. Um, it's all the more for someone who can read a soul then. Yeah. yeah. But you must get the gift. They must have the gift. Yeah. Absolutely. And they usually won't say much anyway. You know, they'll look at you and. Then pray for me. If you can get one to pray for you, there's hope. But usually they'll say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it or something. They have a lot to pray over, but they don't th see that, that that's a genuine uh, dialogue. The whole spiritual father will not pray for you. He'll pray for everybody. You're in the included, but not you in particular. Mm. You understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. not genuine you're not the genuine article mm. you have to be doing all the other things to be the genuine article living the ascesis living the life if you're not doing that you're not really you're asking for something that God will not give you anyway because you're not living the life mm. it's not easy my famous quote, by the way, okay. Yeah, it's not easy. Um, as far as, the, there's a question um, about you know, the, the concept of spiritual works of mercy or, or works of mercy. Um, and, and this question came in about kind of how does one understand the, the spiritual works of mercy or uh, from a, from a, a, a as a as a spiritual fatherhood, um, how, how does that play out, and how do we live that out in our lives? They're not spiritual fatherhood. They're signs of love, mm. and they support some mercy. And if you love God, you'll love His people, and you'll do that. It's sort of automatic if you're advancing, but you can't buy your way to heaven. You can't do these works of mercy and put them in the book and say, well, I did this and I did that. No, no. You didn't do anything because you didn't do it from your heart. The heart must be developed. When the heart is developed, you do things automatically. Some things are uncomfortable, you know, like in the hospital ministry sometimes taking care of people is very uncomfortable. You'll get over it. Sometimes you're not merciful to your own family. You're way down the ladder. People placate their conscience with works of mercy. They shouldn't do that. You know, we got we can bargain with our government, the Catholic Church, over works of mercy, Catholic charities, and things like that, and government grants, and we shouldn't have any of that. We should do it all on our own. We're becoming enslaved. Maybe, yes. Yeah, maybe we can do one or two works of mercy as a public, as a penance, to try to help ourselves. Put up with the difficult person, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Father, that's uh, that's the questions that we have had come in. Well, with the exception of a question about. A, a book list. Uh, I sent one out a while back, but I just sent another one. 
just now. For those of you watching it, uh, you should see it down in the description. Um, but Father, did you have any last minute? Uh, it's our last class. Any last minute comments? Well, it's a most unusual class to talk to this screen. Yeah. Uh, but I always had a couple people here trying to treat me straight, which is good. Uh, I would like to say to them, you pray for me, I'll pray for you. Pray for my monks because they have to put up with me. And you know it's not easy because I'm sort of a character. And pray for the church. I love the church. And it's always difficult just to get ahead, get along. And especially if you love me and my message, became faithful to your Byzantine Catholic Church so it can grow. You're married, have babies, two for you and two for the church. Homeschool them, make them holy, and do not send them to the university where they'll be destroyed. Don't worry about money. If you do God's will, you'll always be enough. You won't be rich, you won't be poor. I always pray to God, Lord, don't give me, uh, don't make me rich, but don't make me, but let me live. Let, let me live. Huh? And he's done that all this time. And we have our monks too. And we're all living. We, we have food on the table. Uh, nobody's coming to knock on the door and take everything away from us. We have our times of prayer. We have our good days and our bad days living with each other. But overall, it's such a blessing. It's a wonderful blessing, you know, and it's a blessing to the church. You live your life to be a blessing to our holy church. The blessing Lord be upon you, his grace and loving kindness now and ever and forever. Amen. Thank you very much, Deacon. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much.